This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. In Andrew Nestor's own words, communication is what drives people. It motivates them. So why do we spend so little time creating and delivering new and better ways for us to communicate with other people? Andrew is the CMO of Social Chorus, and on this episode of Marketing Trends, he discusses the increased need for communication platforms, and he talks about why your marketing team shouldn't always be personalized, and why you need to be both data and experience-driven in order to succeed. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest, Andrew, what's going on? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Great to have you on the show. Today, we're going to be talking about everything going on at Social Chorus. We're going to talk about your background and everything in between. So before we get into everything, (laughs) how did you get started in marketing in the first place? Uh, A bit of an interesting journey, actually. I started more on the technology side. Coming out of college, I basically did a product management role, moved into kind of um, effectively solution consulting within the uh, software company. And then from there, was in went to grad school, focused in management consulting after that around kind of marketing strategy. And that led to me back to kind of a product role within a software company after that. And then mostly marketing focus within that product role. And then from marketing from there. Uh, and that's been the journey of the last, heck, you know, I guess, almost 20 years. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit what it means to be CMO Social Course. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's the, the, the challenge of the day is, is effectively like, um, which hat do you want to wear when you're the CMO at any given moment, right? You've got, on one hand, you have to understand the market in a way um, that's probably better than anybody else in the company, from the standpoint of who the competition is, who the buyers are, what problems they have, and then how that is shifting in the marketplace um, at any given time. So having that kind of market intelligence is kind of a constant need. And then taking that and then applying it in a way that you can create demand for the company. So I still think if I were to stack rank the most important things of my role, the most important piece of my role is creating demand for the company, full stop. There's no question about that. But how we create demand for the company involves a lot of different streams of activities that get into the, I guess, more traditional marketing thinking around arts and crafts type stuff with the brand things around product marketing as far as developing how we position our platform, how we position the company as a whole. And then ultimately, then how, how do we create engagement with the buyers that we care the most about? So we do that through a bunch of different streams around content creation to advertisement um, to physical events or I guess the lack of physical events now. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, there are many hats to wear in that role. And um, it really is the joy of the role is actually being able to do all those things. I wouldn't say at once, but being comfortable moving in and out of different focus areas on a given time to bring it all together. Yeah. And for our listeners who don't know, uh, tell us a little bit more about Social Chorus, You know who your customers are and what types of folks you all are selling into. Yeah. I mean, uh, Social Chorus, uh, at, at the core of it, we're a, we're a software platform. And our software is used 
by large organizations. So large employers think like Boeing and Hilton and Ford and Amazon. They have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of employees. They have a hard time communicating internally with their employees. Because if you think about the workplace, which is inherently digital now, employee tools, they're abundant, right? But it creates these silos, which makes it hard to communicate effectively and efficiently across these different groups. So if you think about like a wired worker, someone who works at a desk, they are inundated by noise, whether emails, Slack, Teams, all sorts of, of, of wired activities are coming at them, the digital noise. But the deskless worker, if you think about the deskless worker inside these organizations, which roughly represent about 70% of the workers in the US, they are fundamentally disconnected from their companies digitally, right? So these are folks who are on the front lines are traditional thinking around like on the manufacturing floor to uh, a nurse in a hospital to the person who is stocking the shelves in a store. Like that's the majority of workers, but they are often the most underserved inside these large companies because they, they don't have access to a laptop or they don't go to an intranet. They don't have an email address. So being connected with them is really, really hard. So that silo structure creates a really big challenge around creating a productive workforce. You also don't get a good amount of data across what actually your people, your workers value, what they're connecting with, where they don't understand something. Uh, It really limits a lot of that. So our platform essentially makes it easy to communicate to all workers. We reach everyone where they are, whether that is through email, through a mobile app, through a web experience. We put communications on digital signage. We put communications in all sorts of enterprise systems. So if you live in Salesforce or you live in some other enterprise system, we will publish communications to that system. So the goal is basically create once, publish everywhere when it comes to being able to communicate out to workers. And then do it in a personalized way because I know that one worker in one region likes their information in one way. They like to receive it on their mobile phone versus at their laptop. Or I know I need to translate this communication to this population of the workforce because they are in Latin America versus in Western Europe. So having this personalization is also key there and automating that with a workflow in a way that really makes this achievable at scale. It's almost, you can think of it akin to Marketing automation came around uh, you know, 10 years ago for the marketer. Well, nothing like that existed before us for the communication professionals inside of an organization that are trying to reach all their workers. So you can think of it as, as an automation platform in that kind of way too. Yeah, it's such an interesting company and problem set. As someone who spent many years in the military, we had such like robust communication techniques to be able to obviously like secretly communicate for the military, but also, but also like communicate with like family and friends and things like that. Mm-hmm. Just like even when you're back home. And it's so funny how like a lot of that stuff just devolved into, you know, what Facebook groups or just like text message chains or things like that. And if you're a 10,000 person company, just relying on like your intranet to be able to like transmit messages is just not really how people communicate, especially on the go. I would imagine, I, I'm so curious, like, as you're working with these types of customers, like who is the buyer? Who is the person at the company? Like it seems like there's, you know, probably one part IT uh, or technology lead, one part HR, one part like who's the types of folks that you're trying to shape and, and influence? 
I think you hit it on the head there, right? It, it, there are multiple functions inside the organization that come to the table to buy this type of solution because the solution is enterprise wide. It's if you're making this choice, you're gonna you're gonna roll it out enterprise wide. And so, yeah, the, the primary kind of let's call it user is often a professional communicator that sits in a internal communications office. Maybe they um, are part of the marketing group. Maybe they're part of HR. Maybe they're part of uh, employee relations, but there's some sort of professional communication role that's there. But at the same time, operational leaders, um, HR, particularly IT, they're all very, very connected into this platform because at the end of the day, and, and this sounds almost blindingly obvious, but in order to actually drive people to do anything, you have to communicate with them. That's just, it's a given, right? But the amount of time and thought that goes into creating communication and delivering communication is shockingly low. It's not something, I think it's, and partly it's because I think a lot of times in the past, you really couldn't um, do it at scale and you couldn't measure it effectively. There's almost like a one size fits all. I'm going to shove a communication out to everybody and they're just going to have to go to where I send it to them, if that's email, and they're going to have to read it and understand it and then do what I say. It's a very one-way communication. We know that doesn't work. We know that in today's workforce, uh, probably forever, that it's, it's never going to work that way. You have to be able to talk to people in a way that is resonant with them so they understand what they need to do and they understand what their role is in that sort of action. And that is things as simple as we have a new health policy rolling out. We need to actually get people onboarded. We have to, we're going to merge or acquire a company. We've got to get everyone mobilized around that. There are, there are all these initiatives that come up that require change management. And all that change management always comes back to, can you get people to do something different? And communications is the vehicle to do that. And so this does impact um, virtually every function in the organization. And so when we go through the buying cycle, lots of different people come to the table and have their say in how they are going to use the platform and then ultimately how it will be implemented too. So as you're thinking about marketing to, you know, so many different types of personas, as you're thinking about like, you know, these accounts, we talk all the time about, you know, this team buying, this committee buying decision for, especially for products that touch an entire company, an HR software, a communications platform, you know, whatever it is, obviously something like Social Chorus, where it affects the whole company, this is a huge decision for the company to make. So, you know, what are the types of marketing activities that you're running to influence the different groups of people to get them on the same page? Right. I think that there's almost a trap here around this where you kind of think as a marketer, all right, well, I need to create specific messages for specific personas and then go with them individually and try to get them to understand the value prop in their language and that what's resonant with them, right? It's kind of this natural order of things is personalize it for them. But we found that that's really a detriment because it creates almost a, effectively a silos amongst the different buying stakeholders where they only see their perspective in that platform. And that may not be a big enough value prop. The value prop really comes when they actually have a shared vision for how this platform will work on behalf of everyone and how it will impact everyone. And so our marketing is really focused around shifting the mental model of one or two people that could be, we'll call them like a mobilizer within the organization 
that they will go and rally the troops, so to speak, bring these different stakeholders to the table, and then we talk to them as a collective group. And we help them through the process of thinking through the business case for this and go through that journey. So our marketing is really about finding that mobilizer. And that can take different roles and different perspectives there, but, but someone who is willing to undergo the, the process of, of thinking around, all right, communications actually does drive my business. I need to have a way to communicate better. And I need my organization to be able to do this in a way that is scalable and measurable. It will actually work for, for everyone here. So it's a bit, a bit of a different approach we take. It's a little more bespoke than just trying to go after, let's say we've got five personas, we're going to have five streams of content for each of those personas. We found that that really doesn't work very well. It, it kind of works against us in some ways. That's really fascinating. And I, and I want to get into how you do that. But I'm super curious because that is definitely different than a lot of the ways, you know, you're right, that, that other folks, you know, would look at kind of tackling the problem. And I'd imagine that, you know, kind of the power of, of a platform like yours is it's not necessarily like burning a hole in any of those personas, you know, pocket on any given day. It's not something that like, you know, IT is like constantly, they don't wake up like worrying about, but it is the type of problem that once there is something that goes wrong, like what happened with COVID, like what happens, you know, in an emergency situation that the CEO or the board is like, hey, how are we talking to our employees? And it's like one of those types of products where not to say that it's, an, it's like an emergency product, but the idea being that like, you know, those use cases where everyone needs to be rallied around the one thing and we need to know like, hey, what is the thing that we're using to solve this? Mm-hmm. And then everybody around the table is like, yeah, yeah, we all have been, you know, bought in on social course for a long time or whatever. That, at that point, it's, it's impactful. But, you know, when you have the different personas that are kind of lukewarm about not your product, but just like about any solution in the space where it's like, ah, well, we kind of have to have something. So somebody else, you know, convinced me that this is the right one because I could go with any. I'd imagine that there's a lot of that for the different, you know, personas who might kind of be like one foot in, one foot out. Our biggest competitor overall is this idea of, well, what we have is good enough. Like it, it, it's not great, but it kind of, it, it gets the job done. Because they don't really see what's possible and then what an actual platform like this can do for them. And in fact, our, our true competitors, like the actual other software vendors, they take the approach where they want to be almost like a walled garden where they want everyone to come to them and everyone go to just their, they, they want to be the source of all information and be the deliverer of all information. We take a different approach where we actually want to integrate with what the company already has and push information out to wherever somebody consumes information, we'll deliver it to them there. It doesn't matter if they view it on our mobile app or if they view it in Salesforce or on a Microsoft SharePoint intranet. That doesn't matter to us. All that matters is that we can deliver the information out and then measure the effectiveness of that information. Uh, So in some sense, yeah, there isn't often a direct budget for this a budget has to be created, right? It's not, a, someone's buying a widget here. It's not a, it's not a common product in that kind of way. And that's where I think, you know, COVID-19 was an accelerant for sure for our business. Because all of a sudden, the idea that I, I really have to reach all my employees and I have to do it in a somewhat complex way, because it's not one message for everybody. And when the, when the crisis hit, you've got New York shutting down, but Florida's open. You've got 
different plants operating differently than others. Some of them are critical. They have to stay open. Other ones, you have to ramp down and move to remote work. Like this is, it's a very specific situation for each of these companies and they have to be able to, to manage that in a coordinated way. It really highlighted the fact that they couldn't do that with email, right? They couldn't do that. They couldn't call people on the phone. They needed a, a better way. And it really did accelerate that idea um, to where, all right, well, if I can use this in a crisis, what else can I use this for now? It just opened the eyes of like a CEO, for example, to where that elevated to the point where this is critical. It's a must have now. So when you're creating marketing materials for this like future state that involves better communication and employee readiness and all of this, that a company who is, again, they're not really looking for a solution. They're just kind of saying like the status quo is fine. And you're, you know, evangelizing this future state of like, hey, this is where your company could be. Like, imagine this. You know, what, what have you found to be the uh, effective channels for that? Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely a long journey when it comes to buying a solution like this. And the awareness piece is very, very important up front. And our, our main lever there is really showing examples of success of similar companies, whether in their vertical or of their size, around how they, how they communicate with their workers and how they've tackled that problem. Because for the vast majority of these very large companies, they, they move relatively slow um, because we're talking about um, you know, something that affects 100,000 employees. They take it very seriously in that sense. So the vetting of that, the understanding of like truly understanding the impact of what they're going to do is really important. So we do a lot of work up front around you know, showcasing examples as we get into the funnel, helping them make the business case themselves, like hand in hand working with them. We run meetings with customers where we help them bring together the other stakeholders and to help them kind of facilitate those meetings uh, so they can get to a shared vision of what they actually want. So yeah, it, it is a, it's a long cycle that uh, mixes a pretty digital heavy upfront and gets into pretty high touch as we get into the middle with our, with our broader team. You mentioned, obviously, you know, COVID being an accelerant for people to understand that they need a platform like this to communicate with all of their employees that are, you know, spread potentially all over the globe, especially like you mentioned, you know, out of, out of office type workers. I'm curious, like, how did you structure your marketing when, you know, to kind of straddle the line of being, you know, obviously respectful towards what's going on, but realizing that like, hey, you have a solution that actually could solve this problem and implement something that, that really could be helpful. Yeah. I mean, that, that is the, the ultimate like trouble spot when, particularly when all this kind of exploded was how do, we, how do we be helpful and not salesy? And so we, we really focused on providing guidance around how to communicate to workers in this setting, how to use the platform, particularly for our existing customers who are going through this, and then surfacing up those examples of how we are helping our existing customers to, to show them that um, there is something that they, they could do, they could implement quickly, and they could actually take advantage of now. What we did, we actually ran a series of town halls where we brought together uh, chief communication officers and, and people in those separate roles and led a discussion of how they're handling the situation. So they can talk to each other and they can ask questions of each other and the audience ask questions of them. So we kind of stepped away from it and just let them, the community, talk to each other and help facilitate that conversation. Uh, because by and large, they just wanted to understand what's working elsewhere. And the software became, I don't want to say secondary, but it does kind of fade in the background a bit where 
our goal for the software is to amplify what they're doing. And so we want to put them front and center. So our goal is really to amplify what they were doing, help them talk to each other and give them a forum to do that. And then we encounter interesting situations too, because in the past, when there are large layoffs or furloughs, particularly furloughs, the idea of a company communicating with their workers when they're furloughed was kind of a big no-no. There are all sorts of union regulations around this. There are all sorts of triggers, other sorts of payment issues and things like that. All that kind of fell by the wayside. And we had these really large employers who are having to furlough 75% of their workforce. And but they were saying, look, we still want to communicate with them. We still want to stay connected with them. We don't, because at that point, at that time, and still today, the large employers are acting as a source of truth for their, their workers and the broader community. Because where there are failings in local government, national government, all over the place, and there's so much confusion around who to listen to and what to believe, the employers have, have really grasped onto this idea. They've become the source of truth for their workers. And so they didn't want to break that bond. So they continue to use, for instance, our platform to communicate out to when people were laid off and they're furloughed, to continue to help them with resources, with information. And then even as we start to bring people back to work, as they started to kind of return to work in some sense, I know it's haphazard across the country and across the world. But if you think about what was happening even over the last few months, like the re-onboarding of the number of workers in the world hasn't been seen since post-World War II. Like just the volume of people having to re It's almost unimaginable the number of people coming back online, but coming back online in very different circumstances where there are different health regulations. There are weird shift hours. There are all sorts of differences in how they um, have to operate from a productivity perspective. That takes immense amount of communication to do that in a coordinated way. And so it just once again amplifies the need for a way to have a, a way to do that at scale and also be able to target and segment appropriately amongst the workforce to give them the information they need to do their job safely and productively. And so this whole cycle, the last like six months, has really been. Once again, like yes, an accelerant, but also like a, a reinforcement of the criticality of communications and the role an employer has in being transparent and communicative and being that source of truth with their workforce. So how is your relationship with sales, you know, changed due to how you're, you know, changing events, how you're doing, you know, your events and webinars? how you're creating content, like what, what has been the change there? Yeah, I mean, our sales team, um, uh, we are small, nimble team in that sense, but we, we're, they're on the road constantly. They are, it's high touch for them. We ran a lot of events previously, in-person events. We had a large user conference that we run in New York City that we had to you know, turn off effectively. So yeah, that, this pivot from creating in-person interactions for the sales team, which is shut off immediately. And I've been really impressed at how well they've adapted to a virtual program that we've been running from a series of webinars to other virtual events we've been doing and how well they've been able to, I think, yeah, just adapt to that and still make human connections, still have the right kind of uh, conversations and use that in a way that um, I've, been really, I've just been impressed with they, how quickly they've been able to you know, mobilize around that. Because we, we have a full program now of virtual events and webinars. We were concerned at the beginning that you know, maybe this is too much content because of all the things people are going through in their daily lives. And that, do they have time to consume this? Do they want to consume this? But 
gotten a lot of feedback that they do want it. And we're, we're seeing kind of record engagement with the content we are creating because people, I think they do have some more time on their hands and they do want to learn more right now and they do need help in, in different ways. So I think it's, it is a, it's been an interesting run where I think it does fundamentally change going forward, probably our mix to be, we were already primarily digital in the sense of how we market from an outbound perspective, but we still leverage a lot on the in-person events. It gives question like, do we need to do that in the future? And I guess in reality, I'm not sure how much we can even do that in the future. We're probably a year to year and a half away from even being able to think about that in a, in a way that would be safe and also um, not tone deaf, particularly in the U.S. In the, in outside the U.S., it's a little bit different, but not that much different. You're a huge believer in data-driven advertising or data-driven marketing, I should say. How are you looking at you know, being data-driven and focusing on you know, doing what works versus kind of like the, uh, the other side of marketing where the going with your gut? Yeah, I mean, it's... I think as, as long as you keep that mindset in everything you do, it doesn't have to mean that data drives everything that you do, but it should be a way to, to test your ideas and make sure that you know, your quote unquote gut isn't running rampant, right? So like, it's something I, I like to blend you know, experience with also, also with data so we can actually get to, a, a, I think, a more logical outcome. So examples of wise, like we, we look for buying intent out in the marketplace through different tools that we have. You can debate how accurate those are, but they do provide a signal for us that's helpful. We are very clear about who we target as far as the companies we target and the size of them. We use a lot of you know, metadata around who those companies are, who the roles are there within them, and then how we go after them. Even from the branding work that we do, we're going through a rebrand of the company right now and going to launch a new website in August. Because we sell the different personas and we have, we're trying to, to appeal to different, different personas, ranging from a communicator who is very much of like, in our point of view, with like a, a human tone and a positive tone versus something that may wake up an IT person that would be more direct and maybe use harsher language and present like a, a negative outcome if you do something. We did a lot of testing around um, language and visuals through quantitative surveying and found out that actually these different audiences wanted the exact same thing. They all wanted a positive message. They all wanted a more human tone. And so I don't know if that was a result of the current time we're in right now because there was so much negativity because of COVID or if that's just the natural order of things and we've been looking at it wrong. So all the things we do, we try to test in some sort of objective way to make sure that we are kind of checking our, our own perceptions and our own uh, point of view that, well, one, the market hasn't moved or B, we're just wrong altogether. And so those are kind of critical pieces for us. Our team keeps that in our mind all the time. It doesn't dictate everything, but it, like I say, it's, we use it to, to test our, our hypotheses and, um, and make decisions off of that. And then how would your team kind of integrate data into those marketing efforts? How does like, you know, how do you keep kind of that, that data-driven focus internally with all the different like parts of the org? Yeah, I mean, they, they look to us, uh, the rest of the organization looks to us to make sure that, that we've done our homework, right? If we're going to put out a new positioning statement for a part of the platform, or if we're going to uh, run a new campaign, 
they want to know that we that we've done our homework and that we have a reasonable assumption that this is going to land with the targets we're going after. And so we will use that testing. We will use market data that will influence whether you know we should use certain language, whether we should we should take certain positions overall. And then we 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 do test that also with other sorts of I call this data. They're almost data points, but they're not. It's not literally data. We'll talk to analyst groups. We'll talk to customers. We'll talk to you know win loss reports and things like that. Like those interactions also greatly influence you know how we think about what we do next. And so it's not always you know, purely data numbers, but it's also like the intelligence gathering around the market that we use on a daily basis to influence everything we do from how we write to how we you know have a visual to how we ultimately put things out in the marketplace as a, a campaign perspective. Yeah, and you talked about the the customer journey being potentially long as, you know, the, most of the folks you're working with are these like Fortune 100 plus size companies. You know, I, I'd imagine that, you know, taking on a solution again that that impacts every single employee is a long decision. How do you feel like you stay relevant throughout the, that journey, like through the sale and then continue to, to, to market post-sale? Yeah, we do some very tactical things, but also it's it's a mindset there too. So I mean, tactically wise, we use effectively like a sales Noma tool that we create a microsite for each of these customer interactions. So there'll be a dedicated page through a third-party software we use called Highspot, actually, that we will curate a business case, we'll curate content for them. So they have a single source they can go to back and forth and direct people that they're trying to influence inside their companies to a centralized location. So they're trying to dig up emails of things and trying to repitch things like we will make it really easy for them in that process. So once again, like we try to focus on a mobilizer inside these organizations and make it really easy for that mobilizer to do the actual mobilizing and gathering the support needed across these different stakeholders. So our goal is really to champion that mobilizer in a way that um, helps them get that done. So that can go as quickly as a few months, it can go as, as long as a couple of years, depending on the scenario and then also the company itself. So our, our mindset, once again, still is like, we take the approach of being connected with them all the way through the buying journey. And that obviously the content will, will vary uh, as we go from top of funnel to late stage. But we, we have touch points all the way through that journey that will be specific to that particular customer. You're a multi-time CMO. Uh, you've done this before. So I'm curious, like, what were the big differences that you went into this time or, or maybe the big changes that you made doing it again? I think my, my first go around, um, I kind of baby stepped into the role in some sense, right? Like I was feeling my way out. I didn't want to make too many waves early. And I, I kind of held back on changes that I should have made quicker, both to the team and also to how we're positioning overall the company. And this time around at Social Cores, I've come in at a, it's at a similar stage and similar size as my last company was. and came in with a much different perspective in the sense of like, I have a point of view. I need to understand the customer set, the market, et cetera. But the moment that I feel comfortable with that, we need to start acting and moving quickly. So having that speed around that is something that I, I've, I've now have a much different perspective on than the last go around where I was willing to not rock the boat as much, willing to be much more consensus driven and giving a, a lot more people say in even minor things. This time around, it's not like that. I've you know, 
myself and the marketing team, we're here to do our job. And so we need to do that job as quickly as possible because the market will move on from us. And uh, it's better to get things out quickly and iterate on them than to wait for the perfect land, uh, which is kind of what I tried to do before, which the perfect time never comes. And by the time it does come, you're probably too late. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there, uh, when kind of like once you hit that like time and seat mark, you know, that, hey, uh, I'm comfortable in the role now. I, I think I know what's going on the second time around. Do you feel like you kind of had your, you know, that that post 90 day mark where you're like, okay, I can now look a little bit farther out and figure out, you know, what are the things that the, you know, the one, the two year plans, those long term plannings and what what are the sort of I mean, I guess everything had changed with COVID, but right. so that threw everything out the window. So I guess maybe that's not as relevant uh, or maybe it is. I don't know. Well, no, I, and the timing was really interesting too, because when I started, I started in December of 2019. And so in January, we're going to have a company kickoff where I had to have a point of view and communicate to everybody at that point, like where are we going to go? How are we going to position? How are we going to broaden our appeal to these other stakeholders? So we're not locked into a single type of buyer. So that was like right away had to be done. And at the same time, we also were in the process of starting the process to go out to market for new funding. And so we had to build the pitch for that and be on the game for that as well. So, and that in itself had a, a longer term vision to it. So we had to write that out. We had to develop that pitch. And so being involved in those two activities from the very get go kind of shoved into it anyways. Uh, so I don't think I've really come up for air yet, to be honest with you, since I've really started, because we've been in the motion of like, the, we kind of set a North Star at the very beginning. I know what that North Star is, where we want to go as far as our kind of a three-year journey type of thing. And there's really good alignment around uh, at this company with the sales leadership, within the product leadership, within the, the rest of the executive team. There is a shared vision around that, which is really comforting because we're not kind of waffling around to different areas and, and trying to be what we're not. There's a, a focus here, which makes the rest of this a whole hell of a lot easier, where that's, that's always the case inside companies. So yeah, I think we'll continue to, to build and iterate on what we're doing. And, but that North Star is going to be the North Star. I don't think that's going to change. So we, we kind of know what problems we're solving for customers and that those problems will be the same in the future how we solve those problems and how we message them will change along the way. But we, we do have kind of this rudder that will keep us on the right path. Do you have any favorite campaigns that you've done uh, over the years? Um, actually, to be honest with you, I'm really, really excited about what we've just done for Return to Work. And this kind of has kind of like a great part to it and kind of a not so great part to it as well. Because we mobilized pretty quickly around particularly in our part of the industry, being first to market around how are companies going to get their people back to work? We kind of saw the inklings of this when, you know, back in like end of April, beginning of May, all right, they're going to start turning things back on again. How are these employers going to do this? And so we mobilized really quickly. And like I said, we created this, these awesome town halls, use that content to turn into video content and create a thought leadership piece around this, like a guide for returning to work for large employers. And then spun that up and really pushed that out in the market um, and atomized that on social, across advertisements and different ways. So I was really excited about, we, we did that campaign from start to finish in about a month and had all the pieces in market. 
with testimonials and customer videos from, I think, like seven different kind of big name customers. So, and even the results of that were, were fantastic as far as like our target accounts. We touched, I think, like almost like 45% of our target accounts interacted with that campaign in a way that, we, that was valuable for us. So that was awesome in that sense. And then we come to find out that about a month or two into it, it just kind of came to a complete stop where the idea of returning to work, the, the idea of what's happening there just didn't ring true anymore as we're kind of retrenching back into other levels of COVID preparedness and lockdown and stuff like that. So we're trying to rework that now to some extent to reframe it a bit, but I'm really proud about that campaign because we did that in the midst of the crisis. All of us were remote from each other and you know, all the customers were remote as well as we never got to see them in person, all this sort of stuff. And we were able to turn all that content into something super valuable for the company. What are you most excited about for either future marketing or emerging technologies that you're seeing out there? I'm excited about the more precise we're able to get with data to understand when people are actually looking in the market for something. So that buying intent, I think the better we get at that, the less misses we have when it comes to talking to people or marketing to people when it's not relevant to them. I'm very much of a person that like, I hate spam as an individual. I, I cannot stand cold calls and, and, and marketing spam emails, things like that completely irrelevant to me. Oh yeah. It's the worst. So like, uh, I, I never want to be the purveyor of that. And so the closer we can get to being really specific around this and having a lot of intelligence around when we talk to people. And even when we talk to people, when we talk to them in the right way, that's relevant for them. And we really understand their problem. Like we've dealt, we, we've get smarter about that. I know there's a, there's a, a two way street there in the fact that people have to be more open and giving that data away, which also is scary for some people. But I'm also the mindset that I'm going to meet in the middle somewhere there and everyone's going to be a little bit happier. So that's my, that's my hope is where this goes in the next couple of years as it gets better and better. But uh, we'll see if, if this retrenches back toward kind of a black box as people start to think about their data privacy in different ways and maybe overreact a bit in some other ways when it may not be necessary. So this will be a telling thing the next couple of years. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM, that is Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every action. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. We love Salesforce. They've been with us since episode one of this show. 200 plus episodes. 500,000 downloads later, and we're still going strong. We love Salesforce. Check them out, salesforce.com slash marketing. Andrew, lightning round questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what habit or hobby have you picked up in shelter in place? Oh my gosh. Probably board games for five and six-year-olds. I've got little kids and they, every day they want, they come into the office and want to play some collaborative board game that now kids play. And so I've never played them as a kid and they are, they're fascinating. Do you have a hidden talent or passion? I don't think I have a hidden talent, but I have a, I have a passion for uh, college football, which sounds a little childish, but I'm a huge Michigan Wolverine fan and uh, COVID is killing me right now because it's eliminated sports. And so uh, it's my outlet and it, it's now gone. Yeah, it's tough. I don't know. Uh, 
I don't know what's going to happen. It's not great. Do you have a favorite app on your phone? Actually, this has changed. I've gone through an evolution here. So the athletic is my, my favorite app on my phone. If you don't know the athletic, it's great sports content. Sure. It's subscription based, but awesome. But now that's kind of, that's dropped off a bit. And then TikTok crapped onto my phone for about a few weeks. And then I come to find out that actually I should not probably have TikTok on my phone. So that kind of way, I think I'm kind of, kind of bored on my phone right now, to be honest with you. Well, there we go. That's, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> How about a, a TV show, a podcast or a book that you've been binging recently? Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big, big into politics. So I love Positive America. Those guys are, are my favorite. TV wise, gosh, there isn't as much on TV right now either. Um, I've kind of TV'd out, which I guess is somewhat of a good thing. Summer, summertime is a good time not to be TV centric, I guess. How about a favorite work-related hack? I like to, this may not be that groundbreaking, but I like to keep meetings at uh, 30 minutes or less within the team. Doesn't always happen, but that's the goal. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to avoid meetings like the plague, uh, particularly now that we are in lockdown, that they seem to have multiplied by a factor of 10, which I don't know why that's the case, but uh, so it just seems to be the nature of what's happened. So trying to cut down meetings. And so I, I block time off for myself that I can actually think. That's my, my biggest thing. I have to schedule thinking time. If you weren't a CMO, if you weren't in marketing at all, what do you think you'd be doing? I think I'd be, I think I'd be a dentist. Maybe obscure, but I always thought in the beginning that it seemed like a job that you could you could have a good job with decent hours and you can kind of live anywhere in the country and have a good job that kind of way. That's what I thought when I was a kid. And here we go, full circle. It looks like that you can actually do almost any of these jobs I do right now uh, anywhere all of a sudden. So it's kind of interesting how that's come full circle. What would be your best advice for a first-time CMO? I think it would be find one or two people inside your organization that you trust that will give you direct feedback, unabated, unfiltered, direct feedback. Because particularly as a new CMO, people are going to be probably pretty nice to you and want to, I think, give you a chance and see where you're going to go with things. But if you're doing something that's really stupid, or just tone deaf or some sort of way, you want someone to tell you to your face, like, hey, that's ridiculous. Don't do that. Or, you know, that's going to lead to this sort of outcome. You probably should rethink that sort of thing. So finding one or two people that can really, you can trust to give you that feedback, I think is critical because otherwise you may not hear it very much until it's too late. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? How do you, how do you balance being a working dad? How do you? Not very well. <laughs> I feel like it's one of the aspects that's part of my life that is giant, but is in nowhere on the radar when it comes to work life. I think there's a, there's a gender thing there where you know the working moms get a lot more thought around that. In my household, we, we try to balance things pretty evenly. And so balancing that and, not, and trying to do that well is challenging. So I think that's one thing that I think people don't often know about me that uh, is super important. That's it. That's all we got for today. Andrew, great having you on the show. Thanks so much for taking your time. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, I think that's great. I think uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're interested in 
a communication platform, check out socialcourse.com. If you have any questions about when to go deeper on marketing anything, I think uh, my contact information will be part of this podcast. So definitely reach out and happy to talk. Appreciate it. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.